Good morning. Our first reading is from Genesis chapter 21, verses 1 to 21. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age, at the very time God had promised him. Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. When his son was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, who would have said that Abraham to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children, yet I have borne him a son in his old age? The child grew and was weaned, and on the day Isaac was weaned, Abraham held a great feast. But Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar the Egyptian had borne to Abraham was mocking. And she said to Abraham, Get rid of that slave woman and her son. For that woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. The matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son. But God said to him, Do not be distressed about the boy and your slave woman. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you, because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. I will make the son of the slave into a nation also, because he is your offspring. Early the next morning, Abraham took some food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar. He set them on her shoulders and then sent her off with the boy. She went on her way and wandered in the desert of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the boy under one of the bushes and then she went off and sat down about a bow shot away for she thought, I cannot watch the boy die. And as she sat there, she began to sob. God heard the boy crying and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what is the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up and take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. So she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. God was with the boy as he grew up. He lived in the desert and became an archer. While he was living in the desert of Paran, his mother got a wife for him from Egypt. And the second reading from the New Testament is Galatians chapter 4, verses 8 to 31. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, 
How is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. I plead with you, brothers and sisters, become like me, for I became like you. You did me no wrong. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. And even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. Where then is your blessing of me now? I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? Those people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you may have zeal for them. It is fine to be zealous, providing the purpose is good and to be so always, not just when I am with you. My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in, the, in you, how I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I am perplexed about you. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh, but his son by the free woman was born as a result of a divine promise. These things are being taken figuratively. The, woman, the women represent two covenants. One covenant is Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that is above is free and she is our mother. For it is written, be glad barren woman, you who never bore a child. Shout for joy and cry aloud, you who were never in labor because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Now you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. At that time, the son born according to the flesh persecuted the son born by the power of the spirit. It is the same now. But what does scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman.
Thanks so much, Kathy. Good morning, everyone. It's great to be with you here this morning. And uh, we're thinking on this topic today, uh, entitled From Children to Captivity, as we look at Galatians chapter 4 together, and also cross-reference that uh, Genesis 21 reading that we had. Um, It was great news last month when uh, an elderly Australian missionary doctor was released uh, from captivity. He'd been working in West Africa for many years, Burkina Faso. He'd been captured by an Islamic terror group and had been there since 2016 in captivity. He'd been released and is now restored to his wife and family. And the last thing on his mind, I'm sure, is that he would be wanting to go back into captivity. Um, Maybe for those younger ones amongst us, you know the story of Paddington Bear in the second movie. Uh, Paddington is unjustly sent to prison and uh, he manages to escape. But the last thing he's gonna want to do is to get back into prison, although the marmalade sandwiches were very good there. It's a strange thing to go back to captivity when you know that you're free to go back to the same captivity or to go back to a different captivity. And it can play out in all manner of ways. Might be that we've been captured to a difficult relationship. The last thing that somebody is going to want to do is to go back to a marriage where there has been abuse. Sometimes we're captivated by the addictions that we have to drugs or alcohol or something that has captivated us. The last thing that we want to do once we've been freed is to go back to those things. And when you've been a captive and then realized that you are free as a child of God, well, the Galatians here in this section have put themselves in danger of exchanging the freedom in Christ that they have for a new form of captivity. And this is why the Apostle Paul has written to them. He introduced his letter as one who has been sent by Jesus Messiah. He shared that gospel, the good news, the greatest news ever, that Jesus' death as the Son of God on the cross brings forgiveness for our failings, for our sins, restored relationship with the God of heaven. And that forgiveness for our failings and that restoration of relationship comes about through faith in the Lord Jesus. And we saw in chapters three and four how uh, the Galatians give us insight into the formation of a new family. Last week we heard that this precious family has been formed by God to include both Jew and Gentile. And in fact, on the trajectory of this whole letter, we're just coming into the end of the second section. Catherine, if I could have the next slide, we'll see that we're just finishing up, having looked at the gospel of a crucified Messiah, that this gospel creates a new multi-ethnic family. And as we tie off the threads today of that, we look at then the transforming power of the Holy Spirit of God whom he sent to indwell his people. I have to say, I've been chomping at the bit to get to chapters five and six, but we don't wanna get ahead of ourselves. And we have the blessing of this time together now as we think about the big idea for today, which is children captivated by Christ, children captivated by Christ. Can I lead us in prayer as we come before the word of God? Our gracious God and loving heavenly Father, we long to be captivated by Christ above all. 
Help us, please, to put aside those things that have held us captive in small and big ways in our own life, the distractions of this world. And we pray, Father, that the words of my lips and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Three points today. My first point is this. Freed children do not want to return to captivity. We're going to take a little back step and begin at verse 1 of chapter 4, but um, you walk through the halls of a magnificent royal court. Join me in this imagining. You reach the entrance of the throne room, and you peer through the doorway and see the king on his spectacular throne. Royal guards are posted down the hallway. Sentries are at the door, but you don't stop as you walk on through. You have no credentials and no letter of invitation. You do not need to register with the king's aid, but there is no protocol for you to observe as you enter that throne room. For there is one word upon your lips that gives you access. As the king comes rushing towards you, and what is that word? Daddy. The king is your father. The king of kings is our father. This is how God sees his children. We can come through Jesus to God our father in heaven and call him Abba Father. But... Kids don't rule the kingdom, right? Kids rule, but kids don't rule the kingdom. And so we see in verses one to two how the heir is subject to guardians and guarantors. Just go back with me to last week, uh, chapter three. We were thinking about how the law of God is a blessing, both as a measure and a mentor. But the continuity of Paul's argument goes through into chapter four with an image of a young master. He owns the estate. He is the heir. But really, he's a slave. He's a slave until he comes of age. He's a minor. For now, the rule is under the authority of guardians and guarantors. He can walk through those hallowed walls, but others make decisions for him until he comes of age. For the Jewish mind, this would have been, and certainly in this day continues to be, the bar mitzvah or bat mitzvah, the coming of age of a young one. These days, we we attribute responsibility at the age of 18, don't we, and say someone has now become an adult. They've come through minority into majority. And Paul gives this illustration as we move on to verses three and five to show us how they and we have gone from being spiritual slaves to sons. There is a form of slavery described here in verses three to five. Slavery under the elemental spiritual forces this slavery common both to Jew and Gentile, and this slavery is sin. It came about right at the beginning in the first people rebelling against God, their creator, and sin is the brokenness in each of us that has been inherited ever since they first rebelled. It's something in our hearts, it's wired into our being. In essence, the Attachment to these elemental spiritual forces is the good things that we do not do and the bad things that we do do. It's the baggage that gets in the way between ours and God because we're broken people. God is perfect, holy and set apart and we 
in brokenness fall short of his glory such that there is a chasm between us, a rift between us, a gap between us. And yet wonderfully, Jesus, the Son of God, fully divine, fully human, bridges this gap. The Son of God, born of woman, it says here, born under law as a Jew, Jesus, God's Son, knew the measure of the law. He knew the law as mentor, and he was the one who lived up to the law. He was the one who kept the law of God perfectly to redeem the Jews from under the law and make a way for both Jew and Gentile to be right with God through faith in him. We see in verses six to seven, uh, heirs with his spirit is in our hearts. Today is Trinity Sunday. And in this section, we see an amazing reference to the nature of God as Trinity. Father, Son, and Spirit all working together. God sends his Son. Father and Son send the Spirit. And we call out to Father through faith in Jesus because we are heirs through Christ. Once upon a time, the young master of the house was enslaved to guardians and guarantors, but now he has come of age and he is mature and he's no longer under law because Jesus, his savior, has fulfilled the law. You see the picture building of the people of God through the Jew, the message comes to the Gentile of Jesus and the question is once we've been freed from captivity, freed as a Jew from the requirements of the law, freed as a Gentile from the, the connection with gods of our own understanding, why would one return to captivity when the king is your dad? Why would you go back? Well, we read in verses eight to one that as God's children, we know God and are known by God. The Galatians used to serve their own gods. They had idolatry, rather like how we serve our own gods today the God of money, the God of beauty, the God of influence, the God of affluence, the God of popularity. For some older ones amongst us, the God of being the matriarch or the patriarch within a family. They're all gods, all ways to be enslaved in sins of the flesh. And then we look at immorality. We look at infidelity and promiscuity and lying. And all these things are the desires of the flesh, the enslavement that continues to these elemental forces. Formerly, the Galatians did not live God's way because they could not live God's way. But now they are enabled by his spirit. They've heard this gospel of grace preached by Paul and he says to them, why go back to captivity when you know God and you are known by God? Brothers and sisters, what a privilege it is to be known by God, is it not? Actually, it's really important to be known by God. I'm gonna take a little excursus just to share this, and it's a huge topic, but it got picked up yesterday when we were gathered together as men for the self-made man uh, gong men's day, and Brian Rosner took us to thinking about what it is to be known by God. It reminded me of reading some really significant works and reflection by John Swinton, who's a theologian and a former nurse, wrote some wonderful uh, material from the scriptures to remind us how important it is that we are known by God when we lose our sense of self. Because as we get older, 
our faculties shift, don't they? We forget things. But even when we begin to forget who we are, God knows us and remembers us. Even when perhaps we begin to forget whom our loved ones and familiars are, God never forgets us. Even for those of us who perhaps may get to the point where we even forget who our Savior and King, the Lord Jesus is. And I've seen this happen. We are never forgotten by Jesus. Such is the profound thing to be known by God. And what a comfort that is, even when we forget him. Now, Paul had visited Galatia to share his gospel, his good news of friendship with God through faith in Jesus. And you recall how these spies, these Judaizers, had come in, and whilst they are free in having faith in Jesus, they had begun to say to them, there are things that you must do to be right with God. There are things that you must do to stay right with God, and that is the Jewish customs of keeping kosher food, of looking to keep a Sabbath day, and that activity of circumcision. Now, we heard about that over the last few weeks, haven't we? They said that this is necessary, and Paul says this is a different gospel. This is a form of captivity. It's never, he says, been about earning entrance into God's family because coming into God's family is by grace, through faith. And to prove this point, Paul reminded them as Abraham, as the prime example, that he never earned his right relationship with God, but rather he trusted God and God credited this to Abraham as righteousness by saying, you're right with me. Now the question for the Galatians as we finish this section and the question for us is this, do you wanna be enslaved all over again? That's why it matters for us today to be right with God through faith in Jesus because I sometimes look at myself and say, Jesus loves me because. Do you ever find yourself doing that? I mean, I read my Bible almost every day, most days. I try to love God, I try to love my neighbor, I try to honor my parents, I take my Sabbath, I, I try to keep myself from murdering <laughs> and from murdering in my heart. I try to be pure, try not to lie, try not to desire those things that God has chosen not to give me I come to church every week and share in the Lord's Supper and I serve on rosters and I preach the sermon and I'm kind and I'm gentle. All very good things. Not always, you know. But do you see, is this why Jesus loves me? Is it? No, not at all. He loved me because of who he is, not because of who I am. And he would love me if I failed in every single one of those things. Still, he has loved me. I never earned the right to be in relationship with God. Jesus made God known to me as a gift. And he did exactly the same for you. 
you precious child of God. So why now be enslaved by effort? Why be captive to works? Because that's what the Roman Catholics do. Purgatory. What a crass idea that is. That's what the Mormons do. That's what the Jehovah's Witnesses do. That's what the Buddhists do. That's what the Hindus do. That's what the Sikhs do. That's what the Muslims do. It's even what the atheists do because it's about what we do. But the distinctive of being a, it's all about what he has done. Brothers and sisters, put your faith in Jesus every day of your life, every moment of your life. I move more swiftly through the second two points. Paul is an apostle and he's a passionate pastor. You see, the Galatians know God more than this. They are known by God. So why is it that Paul in verse 11 says that he's fearful from them, that he might have wasted his time with them? Because they have begun to be persuaded by these Judaizers that circumcision and Sabbath and kosher and keeping Jewish festivals is required to be right with God or to be confirmed right with God. But Paul here is a passionate pastor and he labors for them and he loves them. Verses 12 to 20. He wants them to be rejoicing in the grace and freedom that his gospel brings. In fact, notice what Paul did and he describes it in 1 Corinthians 9. He became all things to all men. He became as one outside the law to win people for Christ. He set aside those Jewish customs in order to bring his gospel to the Galatians. And when he arrived, the Galatians treated him like royalty. They received him, he says, as an angel, as, as if the Lord Jesus Christ himself, and they took him in even though he was quite an unattractive man. We don't quite know what this is, but he describes himself in some way as being unclean. He had some sort of affliction, the sort of thing that would normally repel people, but when he shared the gospel of the risen Lord Jesus, they were drawn to him like moths to a flame. And now here he is giving them some painful home truths, and they don't like to hear it. It's a hard word, his labor for them because he loves them and he does not want them to be deluded. He does not want them giving away the grace of God for captivity to Jewish law. And this is the full counsel of Paul the Apostle and we with them must take the full counsel of Paul the Apostle, both the bits that we like and the bits that we don't like. And sometimes, brothers and sisters, your pastors on the ministry team and your life group leaders and your youth group leaders and your parents and your grandparents who love the Lord, we do fear for you. And because we love you, we're not gonna let you go off the rails with, let's face it, some of the potty ideas that you come up with. So that's our job, is to protect the flock from some of the potty ideas that we have. We fear for you when you seem to go off the rails in error, when you seem to be absent when you seem to be less gay engaged with fellowship, when you seem to be backsliding into sinful habits, and I really want you to thank God for the loving concern that we have for you when you're in error. We try and do it gently. I have to say as well, pastors, life group leaders, youth leaders, parents and grandparents, 
aunts and uncles in the Lord, continue to care for our daughters and sons and nephews and nieces in the Lord, in the spirit, to pray for one another and share the word of God, care for one another in time and trouble, times of trouble, and particularly when we see one another embracing the ways of the world and going back to the elemental spiritual forces at play. For this is love. Paul's love is sacrificial, and his desire for them is to see Christ formed in them. He's not in it, verses 17 to 25, for his personal glory. Sorry, 17 to 20. He's not in it for himself. The Judaizers want the Galatian zeal for them, but he wants their zeal for Jesus. Sorry, Paul wants their zeal for Jesus. Tim Keller, who went to be with the Lord recently, said it can go one of two ways. Either we can be glory revealers for the Lord, or we can be glory stealers from him. And Paul is looking to see the glory of Jesus revealed in the Galatians, and these Judaizers are looking for the Galatians to have their zeal for them and steal the glory of God. And it's a return to captivity once again. I'm amazed sometimes when I look in the mirror and I look at the lives of others, how often we want the validation of people to feel good. Do you find that? That we look to somebody to validate us? Paul wants them to, to have Jesus formed in them that they might grow in a likeness of Jesus Christ. And he doesn't want them to return to a new captivity in the agenda of these Judaizers. Do you know, I do pray that you would look more like Jesus and not more like me. My hope is that you will look more like Jesus and not like members of our ministry team, although they are wonderful people that you would aspire to the image of Jesus being formed in us. Because on my bad days, I focus on my own glory and my own prestige and my desire for things to run according to my agenda. And on my better days, I pray for God's glory and his purposes to be worked out amongst us. But on my best days, I long to see Jesus formed in you and in me and I long to see Jesus in our church and his love overflowing into our communities and our cities and our countries and on into eternity because as Paul describes it here, it's rather like the pains of childbirth. We are the children of God and wonderfully, this is happening amongst us. And it's according to promise. And and. Paul here in this last section, this is my final point, children of promise, verses 21 to 28, gives us the historical story of two children. Now I encouraged you to read chapters 12 to 17 of Genesis last week, it wasn't a vain thing because it prepares us for what we had today in chapter 21 about the story of Abraham and Hagar and Abraham and Sarah and the difference between Abraham taking things into his own hands and Abraham trusting the promise of God. Verses 21 to 23, you'll see when he talks about um, both the son of the slave woman and the son of the free woman. And, And he now takes this historical event and says, I'm gonna tell you this as an illustration, figuratively, as an allegory. And he describes how the Galatians are not to follow the Judaizers into slavery with Hagar and Ishmael, because that's, 
working and doing your own thing to be right with God, but rather to trust the story of Sarah and Isaac, which is God's promises for the free children. And figuratively, he says, these two women represent two covenants. Remember, of course, Abraham had Sarah, his wife. They were both really, really old. Sarah had never had any children. She was barren. Her womb was as good as dead. And so she suggested to Abraham when God made the promise that he take Hagar, her maidservant, her slave, and have a child with her. And so he did that, and Ishmael was born. But that wasn't the child of promise. It was the child of human effort to try and make things work his way. Contrast the child that was born by a miraculous impossibility of two very old great-grandparent age people coming together and having this son of promise, Isaac, through whom the seed, the son of promise, Jesus, would come. And again, we have this reference to Isaiah 54, which confirms the promise of God. So um, if Israel then, or the Jews today, or the Judaizers then, or the Gentile Galatians then, try to keep Jewish customs prescribed by the law, they were no longer heirs. They became slaves. Why? Because Jesus, the Son of God, kept the law and the promise. Actually, I've also just put on screen, if we could go on forward, Catherine, uh, just a little opportunity to compare the covenants. The promise of God was fulfilled to Abraham and Sarah through their son, Isaac. And Jewish Christians do not return to the law and its customs, and Gentiles are not to adopt it. Now, of course, there's a huge question about how does the law play out then in the lives of followers of Jesus? And I'm so glad you asked, because over the next few talks, we get to chapters five and six, and that all becomes clear. But in the meantime, what does this mean for us today? Well, brothers and sisters, may we be captivated by Christ. May we be captivated by Christ. To be a child of God is not to return to captivity to law or idolatry or immorality, but rather to be a child utterly captivated by the unsurpassable person of Jesus Christ. To the exclusion of all others. Not to indulge works or free license to sin. In fact, if anything would distract us from keeping our eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ, we are told to get rid of it. Paul says here, in these very verses, 29 to 31, Abraham is told to get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance of the free woman's son. Now, there's an historical story, but as far as the illustration goes, remember the Judaizers are persecuting the Galatians because they know the grace of Jesus. And we know that Christians today are persecuted for their commitment to the grace of God to us in Jesus. And so what do we do, brothers and sisters, as children of God who are freed from captivity? We lift our eyes to Jesus, completed, converted, changed, transformed, saved, sanctified, and with Christ being formed 
in us. We delight to be little children. We run to our Heavenly Father and we call him Abba. We run to our Heavenly Father in the joys of life and we say thank you. We run to our Heavenly Father in the times that are hard in life and say please. We run to our Heavenly Father when times are sad in life and we say with tears, oh! But we also put to death the desires of the flesh. We work on suppressing the glory and pride that is within us and seek to reveal his glory instead. And when we start to rely on our own efforts and our goodness and our kindness, we forget that it is all from him and we get rid of the slave woman and her son and we seek the glory that deserves to go to God for the one who is born of the free woman to honor the Lord Jesus as the eternal son of God. And we look to the law and we no longer see a burden. Rather, we delight in the word of God because we see the word of God not as a test, not as an exam, not as a rule book, but as fulfilled and met in the person of Jesus. Because we're no longer captives to those miserable forces. We are joyous in our captivity as we are captivated by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who has made God known to us. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, how we thank you for the privilege of being your adopted children. How we thank you for our big brother Jesus who came and did it and said it and said it is finished and is risen and ascended and promises to take us to be forever with all our brothers and sisters one day. How we pray that you would refresh us in being captivated by Christ, refresh us once again and give us the joy of walking in his footsteps as we look to the pioneer and perfecter of our faith this week ahead, who for the joy set before him, before him scorned the cross in its shame and is now seated at your right hand in glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.